Today on the show, we're once again cracking open your D strands and responding to your questions. It's mm. a mailbag, folks. Mm. Who's got mail, Leo? <gasps> we've got mail. You've got mail. I mean, we've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's for our early 2000s kids out there. <laughs> I, I don't get that. If you don't get that reference, just ask Jeeves. Right? <laughs> or ask TikTokers. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, uh, we got rats and oh boy. birds and bats galore. Our, our little distrans receptacle area smells terrible. It smells is. terrible. And <laughs> I frankly don't know that I have enough water in this water bottle to spit in all of those mouths. Especially not with that attitude. You believe in yourself, buddy. <laughs> believe in those glands. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, I'm going to work on believing in myself. But before we get to the spitting, <laughs> let's take care of some housekeeping. First up, a spoiler warning for today's episode. Right. Today's conversation will include spoilers from Dune. Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. And since we've completed deep dive chapter by chapter, exhaustive book club episodes <laughs> yeah. on all three of those books, we're assuming you've read along with us. And if you have, then you're good to go for today. If you haven't, go do that. Go listen. <laughs> yeah. Do what it. What are you waiting Read for? Read the books, coward. <laughs> <laughs> And as always, we have to shout out our Quisats Hatterack level patrons. Yes. Aiken, Matthew Good. Mm. Gentlemen, later on, we're going to talk about Dune factions. We're going yeah. to talk about joining different Dune factions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have an answer. You're going to hear my answer. But the real answer is I would wait to find out what factions you choose. Yes. And then I would join that faction. Classic, just trying to hang out with the cool kids strategy, because you two are the cool kids totally the cool kids table is wherever case and matt are sitting hands Indeed. down it's problematic when they sit at different tables because then you're like yeah there's two cool kid tables oh, a house no. divided, <laughs> house divided. <laughs> thank you case thank you matt for your generosity and of course that thank you extends to all of our patrons who support the show and to all of our listeners who tune in to every single episode indeed well our overview for today. Let's talk about how this episode's going to break down. It's very uh -huh. simple. Uh-huh. Y'all sent us emails. Yes. Some of those emails had questions. Wow. Some had pictures of pets. Mm. Some were just nice. They were all great. <laughs> we appreciated them all. But the ones that had questions, they deserve responses. Yes. So we have answers. We're going to go through some of your questions. We're going to talk through our answers. And that'll be the episode. <laughs> That's the episode. That is the very definition of a mailbag. Now you know. We got there. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into these messages, let's take a quick break. But don't go anywhere, folks. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Let's do it. Let's get into some of your messages. 
Our first email today comes to us from Michelle. Michelle Arab? Arab? Michelle. Michelle wrote, quote, why doesn't Paul see Ganima when Shani was pregnant? Mm. And why is Ganima an ill-omened name? And Wow. Yeah, pretty good. Man, I appreciate that all of our listeners at this point do not follow the unspoken one-question rule. <laughs> Everyone's like, let yes. me sneak in another mini. This is like a question A, B, C. People Love after it. my own heart. Yeah. We say, <laughs> thank give you, us Michelle. one question. They're like, here's a top five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Michelle, for your double whammy of a question here about Paul and his children. Yeah. This is actually something that comes up quite a bit. It recently came up in our very Discord. This question of who Paul is seeing in his visions and why he's only seeing one child and not seeing the other. Right. And Dune Messiah gives us a couple of details about these visions. So let's dig into some of these facts. First and foremost, we are told in Dune Messiah that Paul only saw Chani giving birth to a daughter. Right. Quote, two children, Paul thought wonderingly. The vision had contained only a daughter. End quote. Right. Yeah. So that direct quote is pretty clear. He saw Ganema. He did not see Leto. Now, earlier in the book, he also says to Chani, quote, a child of ours will rule such an empire that mine will fade in comparison, end quote. Yeah. And those two pieces of information, we can basically summarize as telling us that in Paul's visions, he saw a daughter that would one day rule the universe. And by the end of the book, when the twins were born, it's actually his son, Leto, that was the surprise child, the child that caught him off guard. Yeah, I was going to say, as we were kind of digging through Messiah to kind of bring these quotes to mind, I think it's weird that Paul says, a child of ours, mm -hmm. and not this child, right? And we get this other quote, quote, he always spoke of the life within her, Johnny, as singular, end quote. So Paul knows that at the moment of delivering her children or child, Chani was going to die. Right. So why is he saying a child of ours as if he's not clear that there is only one child that they're going to have? It's just very interesting to me. So it almost sounds to me like, and maybe this is like retconning, maybe this is me bending over backwards a little bit, but it sounds to me like, Paul has these sort of like whispers of a vision of another child, but hasn't put two and two together about the meaning of that vision. And ultimately, like this could be a subtle hint as to the little ways that Paul continued to be blind to elements of his future visions, yeah. right? He's yeah. not the ultimate all-seeing oracle that he could be because he gets too like locked into certain visions even if he kind of subtly was like, oh yeah, I know that she's going to have a daughter and then a child of ours is going to rule the universe. And then he's not putting two and two together that they're not the same child. And so thus, Chani has to be pregnant with twins. Yeah, I don't know. Something that occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, like the TLDR is that prescient visions are fucking confusing and muddy and super yeah. unclear, especially by the time in Dune Messiah when the tarot is causing all this noise in his visions and it's True. getting even harder to lock in on certain details. It's always been a confusing superpower. 
and one that can backfire spectacularly. So I think at the end of the day, even Paul is just interpreting. It doesn't right. mean he is predicting exactly. His visions give him a lot of power and knowledge, but absolute certainty, I don't think so. Again, we've talked about how it's possible that Paul's Mentat training is a big part of why he's even capable of like stringing those visions together into meaning. Right, like computing it into anything remotely logical right. might just be his Mentat abilities, for sure. So all of that to say, Frank doesn't really give us an answer. <laughs> right. It doesn't right. outright tell us in simple terms why there is this big mistake in Paul's visions. But there is sort of a broad consensus because so mm -hmm. far we've identified Paul did not see Leto in his visions. So the question of like, why is Leto not in the visions and why is Ganema in the visions? Looking at Children of Dune, it starts to become, this is sort of the consensus that a lot of people get to, which right. is Leto too has the active prescient gene and starts having dreams that are prescient and he yeah. starts having prescience while Ganema does not. So right. following the rule that Dune establishes that prescient beings cannot see each other, right? See Edric hiding the conspirators from Paul and the Dune Tarot fucking with Paul the whole book. Right. Any kind of prescience becomes a kind of blind spot for prescient beings. So Leto being an innately prescient child would then not appear in any of his visions. So he's sort of seeing this empire and going, well, it's got to be the one daughter I have. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. And I think that's why he doesn't gender the child at any point either, because this like future empire he's seeing, there's like a giant blank spot in the middle where his child should be, presumably. Yeah. He sees the crown just floating. <laughs> he's like, oh, weird. Strange. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think it's worth noting that like by the end of Children of Dune, it's very clear that Leto is the most powerful prescient being to ever exist. He makes the choice to combine with the sand trout right. to become the weirdest half human, half <laughs> worm boy oh. to ever exist. Yeah. And to me, it's not a far fetched idea to be like, yeah, no, the most powerful prescient being is probably not visible even in Paul's extremely powerful visions, right? Like if someone like Edric can block Paul's visions, Leto right. can easily do it. Lest we forget, by the way, that Paul was a generation too early for the Kwisatz Haderach breeding program. Right. Leto and Ganema are the generation that the Bene Gesserit were planning on for 10,000 years. So yeah, I think Leto's, Absolutely. it's very safe to say that Leto's prescience is a much more powerful element in this universe than Paul's. Yeah, definitely. It's tough to wrap our minds around because we humans live in the present and think linearly, but like yeah. prescience doesn't have an anchor in time, right? It exists in the past, future, and present all at the same time. Right. So future Leto with his prescient powers from Children of Dune is going to be affecting present Paul and Dune Messiah because time doesn't matter in prescience. Like right. a future prescient person is still going to be blocking a past prescient person and vice versa because time is relevant. So <laughs> that, you know, very much like the pandemic, those two years where we were all cooped up in our homes in the pandemic and time didn't matter. When you're thinking of <laughs> prescience, you can't think sort of linearly and think about like now, then later. It's all just like in the milieu of now. 
Milieu is such a good word. I love that word. Oh, it just rolls <laughs> off your tongue, you know? Milieu. Milieu. Mm. Hell yeah. Mil All right, let, let's address the last part of Michelle's question before we get too sure. turned on by the word milieu. <laughs> Can't stop me too late. Too late. <laughs> so Michelle also asked, why is Ganema considered an ill-omened name? Right. And the simple answer to that is because the Fremen definition of the word Ganema is, quote, spoil of battle, end right. quote. Something you've earned or won in battle. And... The ill-omened part of it is where we have to speculate a little bit, because is it an old-fashioned idea that winning something in battle makes it of a lesser quality? Is it because Ganema is an object, and why would you name your daughter after a concept of like an object you'd win through violence of some sort? You know, like there could be some connotation to it that's negative in front yeah. of culture. Imagine naming your child spoils. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> what? Right. Or, or a lottery. Yeah, lottery. You know, this is my son, Mega Million Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> Middle name Jackpot. Hell yeah. Jackpot, baby. Yo, Jackpot. Jackpot's kind of a dope name. Uh, yeah. I'm coming yeah, around yeah. on it. Yeah, but you know, everyone's just going to call it Jack at that point. But... Or Pot. <laughs> <laughs> so there may be some negative connotations attached to it. It is worth noting that the person who has an issue with Ganima's name in the books is Haraj. She's the one who sort of objected to it. And it could just be sort of boomer energy from Haraj. She's perhaps an old-fashioned, very traditionalist Fremen from the siege days. Fremen right. culture is evolving and changing. And maybe she just has an issue with the name Ganima because it's new and different and weird and not traditional in the Fremen sense. Yeah, we do see that like Fremen culture does have some pretty like delineated gender roles. And so part of me also thinks like maybe Ganema would be a name for a warrior and someone who goes out and fights or a mm, knave. Yeah, that's and it. we don't see women knaves. We see Sayadinas and we see Reverend Mundo, and they're they're respected and they're valued and they're not necessarily right. oppressed in that way. But that could also be a thing. And I could see Hurrah being the one who's like, but oh no. And kind of clutching her pearls at that idea. Yeah, definitely. Michelle, thank you so much for your questions. Yeah. It gave us the opportunity to learn a little bit more about Ganema and the very confusing art of prescience. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> thank you, Michelle. So next up on our list is an email from Scott Sprague. And Scott wrote, quote, Is there any sort of description of the actual religion of Paul Muad'Dib as it was practiced, especially in the time of his jihad or during Alia's regency. For example, did they have any sort of established set of prayers or a physical worship space or a church? End quote. What a great question. Yeah. Basically, no. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Okay, uh, so next our next email. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk about it. So, Scott, it's a wonderful question, and it's the sort of thing that honestly could use some like illumination from yep. some author somewhere. Mm -hmm. but there are shockingly few details on kind of the specifics of like the religion of Muad'Dib and what that kind of day-to-day -day practice looks like for those believers and for those people who are part of it right even in the encyclopedia which usually has this kind of bevy of information yeah 
but we can make some like educated guesses based on what we do know from Frank's books. And we can maybe theorize a little bit also like the real world analogies that very clearly Frank was pulling from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we get a couple of examples in the books themselves. So in Messiah, there are some scenes that indicate that the religion involves some type of ritual, right? There's the moment where Korba has to go in and stand in for Paul for the gathered pilgrims to do the daily prayer of some sort. And then later in the book, there's a scene where Paul infiltrates Alia's temple, where she is doing her ceremony and consuming the spice and something, blah, blah, blah. You know, So it's clear that there are some sort of practiced rituals that happen at a regular basis, whether daily, weekly, whatever. Beyond that, I think what's interesting to remember is that while we don't have clear information on sort of the day-to-day practices or the spiritual beliefs, we can connect some dots based on what we do know. So for example, we know that the mythology of Muad'Dib sprung up from a mixture of Fremen culture and Bene Gesserit tampering through the Missionaria Protectiva, right? right. That's where the Lisan al-Gaib, all of that was planted. And so I think it's safe to assume that the core of Muad'Dib's religion is built on top of Fremen culture and beliefs. So it's easy to imagine that the religion espouses the same values that the Fremen admire, things like strength and loyalty and adaptability and sacrifice, all of these sort of core beliefs in Fremen culture, I'm sure translate over. I also imagine that the religion is more community-focused and collective rather than championing this very like sort of Western ideal of independence, right? You as the sole person are the most powerful versus you as part of this community make this community stronger. And that is very much in line with Fremen views on siege life, right? Right. You always put the siege first. One Fremen's life is not worth more than the whole siege. And so I imagine some of that ideology bleeds into Muad'Dib's religion as well. Yeah, and again, the Bene Gesserit in planting those myths would want to lay a foundation that is something that could be pivoted into something like whatever it is. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you imagine that their cultural day-to-day lives and they have their Sayadinas and their Reverend Mothers, like these are qualities that would be then compatible with whatever religion kind of birthed out of Muad'Dib. Yeah. Now, we also know that millions of pilgrims complete the Hajj the spiritual journey by visiting Arrakis and going out into the desert. You Mm -hmm. can kind of recall the pilgrims, those like tourists (laughs) who (laughs) hired the like Fremen guides to like, give us like the authentic Arrakis experience. Oh my God, do it for the gram. It's going to be so- Take us out into the deep desert. Oh my God, we're in the deep desert. Hey, followers. (laughs) Oh my God, in chat, thank you for the subs. (laughs) You know, thank you for 10 gifted. Right. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) The most obnoxious Twitch streamers visiting Arrakis. Yeah. And and of course, (laughs) we meet them (laughs) because they're on their knees bound, about to be murdered by Maoris and Asan Tariq. Right, right. And this is, by the way, lifted almost wholesale from the Islamic Hajj, right? This pilgrimage to the Holy Land of Mecca that all Muslims make at least once in their lives at some point. Mm -hmm. So we can see, again, Frank's research and Frank's decision to make the Fremen culture reminiscent of Middle Eastern culture and Middle Eastern religions 
just it's right there. <laughs> it's very on yeah. the nose. And we don't know if the Hajj in Fremen culture or in the time of Muad'Dib and Alia's Regency, we don't know if that is a like requirement of Muad'Dib's religion. Right. Or if it's just kind of a fashionable tradition that has kind of sprung up on its own. Because we do kind of see not only does Paul and Alia, they have their ways that they control and manipulate through their religion. But then there are these other things like the Dune Tarot, I know we're going to talk about in a minute. But these things that kind of popped up on their own that Paul would not have been like, yeah, do that. That's cool. But because the fucking emperor of the whole universe is from the desert and has prescience and has these qualities, maybe it was just fashionable. Maybe you're like, wow, I heard the fucking guy who is now in charge of everything came from the desert. You want to you want to go to the desert? Should we go to the desert? <laughs> should we right? go? To, I think we should go to the desert. Let's stream the whole time. People are going to love that. <laughs> like, ah, thank you for the gifted. 24-hour non-stop desert stream. We've got a raid incoming. Oh, it's actual <laughs> Fremen. Fuck. Oh, oh is that Fuck. a real raid? It's a literal raid. Real Chris I thought you meant Twitch raid. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, one last thing, you already sort of mentioned it, but the Dune Tarot during Paul's reign, the Dune Tarot became explosively popular, right. Right? right? And you can imagine that prescience became sort of an obsession among the larger populace. If the emperor is prescient, it's easy to imagine how it could become fashionable. And whether or not it becomes a key part of Muad'Dib's religion, prescience as like a core pillar of it, I think it still sort of will seep into the larger traditions and fashions around the religion simply by the nature of who Paul is and how he gains power. Right. And obviously Paul finds this incredibly annoying throughout the whole book. He's just like the, all these goddamn people poking <laughs> into prescience using the Dune tarot yeah. is making it hard for me to use my power. So I imagine the tarot is not like an officially sanctioned by the religious office of Paul Muad'Dib sort of thing. And more just a popular tradition that maybe crops up around the religion of Muad'Dib. Right. So I I imagine like the actual core tenets are very Fremen and the things that crop up around them are fashionable. Maybe the Hudge, maybe the Dune Tarot, maybe the way people dress, right? Like maybe wearing desert wear becomes like the more religious thing to do. If you're super religious, you copy the Fremen and wear desert wear. Yeah, I mean, we see that we see jewelry and fine garments yeah. that look like still suits, which is like the most insane thing. Right. Of course, right. Stilgar and all of the old Fremen are like, fuck that. That's so obnoxious. But yeah. absolutely, we see that popping up. Yeah, totally. I think to sort of wrap up our larger point here, right? This is all just speculation from us. There is no confirmed, here are the three prayers per day Muad'Dib's right, right. followers always prayed. Here are the traditions and holidays they had. That is not anywhere to be found in Dune lore. We just have to speculate and connect some dots about the larger and broader strokes of the religion. I think on some level, Frank intentionally didn't explore that aspect of the religion and didn't focus on the actual mechanics of Muad'Dib's faith because ultimately that serves little purpose in his overall story in the themes that he's exploring, right? The core theme in his stories is the danger of charismatic leaders, of the pitfalls of fanatical religion. Right. And the minute details are just that, just minute details. 
like the broad warnings apply to every religion and to every leader, regardless of what the specifics of that one leader or the specifics of that one religion are. And in addition to that, I think we as the reader also know that Muad'Dib's religion is basically a farce, right? Like his entire <laughs> yeah. mythology is due to Bene Gesserit manipulation for thousands of years. And Paul himself would like be the first to tell you this is all bullshit. In fact, he comes very close to saying things like that around Stilgar <laughs> yeah. and other other people in his inner circle. So I think Frank spending all this time, or even the encyclopedia spending all this time explaining exactly what the religion is, is kind of counter to the whole message. It's all just a fucking made up farce and it's dangerous and who cares if they have to pray three times a day. Right. At least that's my read on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think as with all things, Frank was very intentional with what he explored and what he didn't explore. And at the end of the day, like, would the story be served by us knowing the three prayers that people have to do as part of this bullshit farce? <laughs> right. And the answer is like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> it wouldn't be a better, stronger story for it. Now, I am curious, and I would be really interested to hear like a short story about maybe a young Arakeen person who's mm -hmm. going to those prayers and going, this feels weird. Yeah, like, this yeah, doesn't yeah. feel quite right. And are we all bought in on this? And why? You know, like, it'd be fun to see that skeptical kid. And then understanding, like, seeing the perspective of our my parents understand this better than I do. But I, you know, that could be a really good story. But I think within the timeline of Dune, I'm like, yeah, of course, he didn't explore it, because <laughs> none of it matters. Right. And I also do think that you're right the overall commentary on religion is much stronger if it's broad enough that it could be any religion. Because mm -hmm. if he was too specific to finding this religion, people would go, oh yeah, religious leaders in this religion you created are problematic. Are bad, right. But mine are good because mine are totally different. Because we do different prayers and we don't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that broader commentary. The, the details don't matter. It was like a, it's a horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah. you will find that uh, religion's full of shit. And you're mm -hmm. like, wow. It's like he knows. <laughs> it's like he knows and all about If you're a Capricorn today, you should just watch out for leaders out there. You know, any, <laughs> yeah. your, your manager, your mom, your boss. Oh my God, your, it knows. Your landlord. He knows all. He is the oracle. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that helps. Again, we're... A little apologetic. We don't have more very specific things to give you. Right. But I'm part of like, yeah, that's an opportunity. I'd love for Brian or for someone to write a story about someone struggling with the kind of farce that is that religion. Be cool. Yeah. Be fun. Yeah. It would be cool to get those details. But Frank had other things to worry about for his stories. <laughs> he did. Also dying before writing that last book. <laughs> that's true. That bastard. Well, thanks for the email, Scott. Uh, and thanks for giving us this space to sort of geek out and speculate. We'd be interested in hearing your thoughts, any of our listeners' thoughts as well, yeah. on what you think Wadib's religion involved. I'm sure there's some weird shit in there, right? Every religion's got that one weird rule. It's gotta be. That like yeah. no one no one knows who made that up, but <laughs> yeah. everyone follows it now. So yeah, yeah. I wonder what the Wadib version of that is. Only sparkling water. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Oh my God. I'm on <laughs> I'm sold. Give me spicy water every time. I don't want this fucking flat, boring. Yeah. I want water with pizzazz. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you again, Scott. Next up, we have an email from Andres Kefi. <laughs> I'm just going to butcher every person's name today. I'm so sorry. Andres writes, would Alia have failed the Gamjabar test? 
Could the Gomjabar test on preborn rule out the preborn becoming abomination? Interesting. Wow. It's a very interesting question. And my sense is no. Yeah. Moving on. Now, <laughs> at the time, I, I think that at the time of her birth and when she was a young person, I think Alia would have passed the Gomjabar test easily. We see in Children of Dune, Jessica basically acknowledged that the Gomjabar test wouldn't work on Paul's children, Leto and Ganema, because the preborn possess the memories of the people who fucking passed the test. Right. They get right. it. They've passed the test. And, and again, these children who are part of the Benny Jesuit breeding program have internal memories of thousands of reverend mothers who have passed that test. Mm -hmm. And actually, here's the quote from Children of Dune. Quote, it would be stupid to repeat such a test on you or your brother, Jessica said. You already know the way it went, end quote. Yeah. So part of me thinks Alia just would have passed it easily. Now, that being said, once the person is abomination, I suspect whatever inner life is sort of driving the meat mech, that is the possessed person. <laughs> yeah whoever is driving is going to be the determining factor of whether or not you pass, right? Like mm, mm -hmm. Leto too kind of acknowledges toward the end of Children of Dune, much to all of our dismay, that he's basically abomination. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, I didn't really dodge that bullet. I kind of am abomination. That being said, he handed the reins over to Harum. Even though he did that, and even though he probably does kind of classify as abomination, I think we'd all be shocked if Leto <laughs> lacked the self-control not to pass the Gomjabar test. That being said, Alia, possessed by Baron Harkonnen in Children mm. of Dune, mm -hmm. I think would very likely fail the test because yeah. we see how kind of ruled by her base instincts Alia is. So I would be less shocked if Alia, after possession, failed the Gomjabar test. But I also think more broadly, the reason I think young Alia would just pass the test is because if it were possible that she wouldn't, and if it were possible that that would be a way of like making sure someone doesn't fall to abomination, I think Jessica would have done it. I just think yeah. Jessica would have yeah. fucking administered the test. And also, I think young Alia, you know, Alia the Strange, with all of the memories of past Reverend Mothers would be like, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Like, if this is going to prevent me from falling to abomination, hell yeah, let's do it. So I think that if it were that simple, if that were an option, we just would have seen it happen. Yeah, I think you completely nailed that. If the Bene Gesserit had a solution to abomination, they would have already been using it, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, if the Gamjabar yeah. test could have been used to catch abomination, to prevent abomination, to confirm abomination, anything with abomination, it would be utilized in the case of Alia and the fact that it isn't and the fact that from that quote that you pulled earlier Jessica basically admitting because of your other memories you already have passed the test in your memories before it would be utterly useless to administer it on you again for any sort of purpose I think you're spot on uh, I think Alia would easily pass the Gamjabar test up until the point the Baron completely has control of her and then after that it would really be a test on the Baron right. and not a test on Alia. And the Baron, I think we can safely assume, would fail. But yeah. at that point, it's too little too late. The abomination has already taken over. 
and also again it's not even the baron it's the other voice of the baron the ancestral baron who's yeah. this like shadow memory of the yeah. baron basically yeah kind of a caricature of the baron in a sense totally also yeah because the Benny desert are like if abomination step one murder <laughs> murder kill right. kill it <laughs> kill it dead and yeah. you think that like the Benny Gesserit who value and really need awakened reverend mothers and need that information because there are Benny Gesserit who fail the reverend mother test and die so yeah. we just birthed a Benny Gesserit who doesn't even need to go through the fucking test has all of the abilities oh my god that's amazing no that's not an option we're just going to kill it so i think if there were a solution they would <laughs> they would be they would standardize it they'd be like yeah, yeah we got this yeah totally thank you for the fun question though yeah, andres totally. i think it's always fun to speculate about the what ifs in the dune universe and it would be interesting regardless of whether or not we think she'd pass easily i think it would still be interesting to see what alia did if her hand went in the box yeah agreed well we've gotten through a few of your messages your lore Indeed. questions we're going to take a quick break now but when we're back we're going to talk about some kind of more expanded universe things as well as some fun off-topic stuff so mm -hmm. don't go anywhere right after this we'll be back with some more questions Welcome back, folks. Let's continue with your messages and get into some expanded universe topics and some fun off-topic stuff Ooh. to round out today's episode. Ooh. So starting off, we have an email from Rob Colenso. And Rob wrote, As the world around us has changed in the nearly 60 years since Dune was published, how does this change how we read the book and what we take away from it? Interesting question. Yeah. Because obviously the world has changed since Frank's time, since Dune was published, since Dune became popular. And the story of Dune itself has been widely influential and has gone through ebbs and flows of its own popularity, where I would argue at a very high peak of popularity right now in the Dune world, just because of Denny Villeneuve's film and all of the Dune IP we're starting to see. So yeah. How has the world changing affected how we interpret the story? Yeah. I mean, I think almost by definition, we can't really address how we royally, collectively <laughs> read the book. Right. But yeah. I think sharing our individual perspectives, I will say for myself, I think there's a lot of social criticism in Dune that unfortunately still hits really close to home. Yeah. Especially in regards to modern America kind of globally, there's this problematic trend toward cult of personality leaders, people who are like anti-establishment populists. I have no idea what you're referencing. Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> even name a single one now that I'm trying to. No, we've got like Bolsonaro and we've got Trump and we've got the British Trump, <laughs> whatever the fuck his name was. In general, we are seeing that more. And I know that this is happening with Hungary and it's happening with Turkey and it's happening with a few countries. And Again, like a lot of them are building their platform on, I'm the one who can fix it, put all of your trust in me, which is crazy. And it's something that Frank was warning about in the fucking 60s. Yeah. And here we are, you know, 60 years later, and it's still something that people are like, oh, he's infallible. Whatever he does, I support. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. 
And then they go, yeah. well, what if Biden? It's like, yeah, Biden sucks sometimes. If he committed <laughs> crimes, put him in jail. I don't get what this is all about. The law yeah. is the law. So I don't know. It kind of bums me out that 60 years later, we're still struggling with this stuff. And it's the same feeling I get, honestly, when I watch stand-up comedians from the 50s and 60s, you know, or even civil rights leaders from the 60s, where they're right. saying like, here are points about society that we need to change. Like, here's a joke about this stupid, broken piece of American society. Or, you know, here's this civil cause that we need to make progress on. And the good points they made in the 60s are still salient today. And it bums me out. I'm yeah. like, fuck, that sucks. That someone was so clearly articulating the problems with society 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that are just still problems. Yeah. And I think even alongside those political and social commentary ideas from Dune that weirdly still feel so relevant today, I find some of the environmental messaging as well so salient. Totally. Yeah. As we all are looking down the barrel of climate change, it feels really sad and weird to even like listen to old interviews with Frank where he's talking about how fossil fuels are going to fuck us over unless we change something right now <laughs> saying this back in the 70s yeah in the 80s and his stories obviously involve so many ideas around dunes ecology the natural balance of its environment pardo and Liette and how they're changing it, how the Fremen are evolving it, and how that actually backfires on them and Messiah and Children of Dune. There's all of this messaging around this balance of nature and environmentalism right. and natural resources, right? The spice being this very clear allegory for oil. A lot of that messaging still also feels shockingly relevant to today's society in a kind of a sad way. Agreed. Yeah. But also is a credit to Frank's vision and Frank's story and Frank's writing that he was touching on these topics that are relevant decades after his passing, decades after his stories were written. Yeah, even the whole, we talked recently about walking without rhythm as sort of a broad metaphor for becoming one with nature and kind of mimicking the natural world in ways that we see like indigenous people living really harmoniously with nature and then yeah. fucking Western culture being like, yeehaw, <laughs> let's kill everything. <laughs> and how, how just yeah. that happened thousands hundreds decades ago <laughs> hundreds of years ago but you're absolutely right like he was such an advocate for environmentalism and for ecology and understanding those systems and really recognizing that humans are a part of those systems and finding that balance not taking it too yeah. far right recognizing that the world needs certain elements and not taking it too far so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and to balance it out a little bit so frank had these kind of forward ideas he also had some weird hangups right and we talked recently Absolutely. about his estranged relationship with bruce his homosexual son and how if he was homophobic and if that then informed elements of his books and some of the weird right. gender stuff that always comes up and it's always a little bit like hmm i don't love that and i it could be super problematic it feels like the tip of an iceberg that maybe <laughs> it would be really unfortunate to surface because who knows he was he was kind of a product of his his upbringing yeah so certainly like there's that element too right it's certainly easier to criticize certain parts of the story especially yeah. around gender and sexuality because of some of those problematic ideas present in the books and some of those old-fashioned ways of thinking which by today's standards would be intolerable 
but got a pass in the 60s, 70s, 80s, just because, as Rob is saying in his question, the world has evolved, society has evolved. And so our perspectives on what is socially and culturally acceptable and not acceptable and our understanding of things like gender spectrums or sexuality spectrums has evolved. Some of the outdated ideas in Dune stick out more right. than they would have 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, totally. And again, it's like we are like actively as a society kind of reconciling this false binary, this like false gender binary that we've been living in for years and years and years. So again, it's, you're like, oh, there's no non-binary Fremen. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the fucking 60s. Right. That conversation was happening in very small, quiet places and not in the public square. Yeah. It wasn't a national dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I'll also say kind of on a broader and a kind of lighter note, well, actually two things. First of all, I think Frank actually wrote, especially looking at books and novels and stuff that are coming out in the last decade, the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I think that like looking at books that are written in the last 10, 20 years, I see a lot of male writers writing really shitty women, <laughs> just like really being bad at writing characters who are women. And I got to say that as we dig into these books, Jessica and Alia, even Mohan, like these are characters, Ganima, right? Many of them are sort of secondary to the main literal Quisat's Hatterack main character, but they have agency. They have drive. They have wants. They have desires. And I think, like, generally, I think they're pretty well written, which I don't know that I would have thought that. But then the more like sci fi read by men, where like women are just there to motivate male characters to do stuff, I don't know. I think that's commendable, especially looking at what happens in other books. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that I necessarily agree because I think a lot of the female characters in Frank's stories, especially in the three first books, are sort of accessories to the male main characters Hmm. in a way where like they're not written badly explicitly, but they're also not like written wholly as three-dimensional, like full characters. Like Chani, who's so central to Messiah, is like barely barely in the book. You know? I see where you're coming from. Like they're not written badly like you can't be like oh my fucking god what is this horrible line that <laughs> yeah frank wrote for jessica yeah, yeah, yeah but i also think a lot of the story is our hero characters which is guys and a lot of the women are secondary or just accessories to the guys doing stuff part of that is that frank wrote this story to be feudalistic returning to power structures that are patriarchal right, right, in right, nature right. but even in a patriarchal world the most powerful players are often like benny jesuit women I realize that like I'm giving a lot of credit for all of the women characters. I'm really thinking about Jessica, which we also know he based on Beverly very much so. So Jessica has like great agency throughout the books and she never like gets her way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she never succeeds, but she's always yeah. up to something and she's always kind of her own agent when in a way that yeah. I appreciate in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I also will say something else that I think Dune dodges that I wouldn't even think about until I start reading other sci-fi books is it's not about the fancy tech. It's not about the fancy you mm. know, futuristic mm-hmm. technology. I think in the last 60 years, a lot of sci-fi books are like, and then they had a phasma plaza who teleports the <laughs> beams to the Borkles. And you're like, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> All right. But when it comes to an actual like human connection and the story of the morals of the story and the bigger why are we here and why are we even exploring this story? Frank gives a lot of really good answers to that. 
and there is some tech, but it's very much not the point. In the same way yeah. that Muad'Dib's religion exists, but the specifics don't matter. The technology exists, but it doesn't matter. We don't learn a ton about lace guns. Pew, they don't pew. have yeah, pew pew. <laughs> Hashtag pew pew. <laughs> so anyway, that's just something that in the last sixty years I've seen that done wrong a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate in Dune that there's no tech Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. There's no plasma phase converter that will save the day that right. somebody needs to go find in a hidden cave or shit like that, you know. That's a great uh, point. It, yeah. It's a human story. There tech will not save the day. Right. Great question, Rob. Thank you so much for your email. And honestly, like the last point I'd say to Rob's email is that I think the best part of a series like Dune or any other series that may be special to you, like Lord of the Rings is always special to me on a revisit, is that every time you revisit it, you will get something different out of it. And yeah. at different points in your life, it may mean different things to you. Like when I first read Dune back when I was a teenager, it was a fun sci-fi adventure about a cool dude in the desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't think much more past that, but I really enjoyed it. And then when I revisited it in my 20s, it suddenly dawned on me what a deeply moving exploration it was on religion and politics and society. Right. And who knows what it'll mean to me when I'm 60 because of my own life experiences, because of the way, as Rob is saying, the world evolves around us. And I'm excited. I can't wait to revisit Dune in another decade, in another 20, 30 years. And maybe it'll mean something different to me then. Yeah. Thanks again, Rob. Really great question. We love that kind of question. It's cool. For sure. All right. Next up, we have an email from Chris Albright. Chris writes to us, quote, how do you feel about the expansion of the Dune universe? Do you only want to focus on Frank Herbert's novels and adaptations of his specific novels? Or are you okay with doing Awakenings and the upcoming Sisterhood TV show? Are you excited about other writers playing in Frank's toy box? Oh, boy. End quote. Chris, you have opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, I think I can speak for both of us. Yeah. 100% absolutely yes. Yeah. We are excited about the expansion of the Dune universe. And we are excited about things like the video games, Dune Awakening. We are excited about the possibility of HBO TV shows like the Sisterhood show, despite yeah. you know some of the problems with that production. Right, right. We are generally excited about the idea that there is more Dune in the world to come. More Dune is good Dune. That's like our stance on that, yeah. basically, broadly speaking. More Dune, good Dune. The short answer to Chris's <laughs> question is basically 100% yes. We want more expansion of Frank's universe, more stories in the Dune universe. Yeah. If there are directors and artists and musicians and authors out there who love Dune, who are willing to play nicely with Frank's established lore, yeah. who can get out there and secure the rights or the funding to make a new Dune thing, whatever that new Dune thing is, yeah. they will have two people first in line <laughs> and it's us too yeah. to buy yeah. that shit, to watch that, to consume it. And I think what's particularly exciting for me is that the Dune universe is so huge. Yeah. And there are millions of different stories waiting to be told in Frank's universe that have nothing to do with the characters he wrote about in the six books yes. or even yeah. necessarily the plots of those six books. Right. That is what I'd be most excited to see from other authors, musicians, directors, artists, is expansions of the universe that are in line with the themes 
in line with Frank's original ideas, but something we've never seen before. Right. And as much as we both love Villeneuve's adaptation and we're stoked to see Dune Part 2, I think it's time for the Herbert estate or for whoever the fuck is in charge of that <laughs> to like cut loose at this point and allow for a flourishing Dune expanded universe to take shape. Because I think some of my, as a Star Wars fan, some of my favorite Star Wars stories are not the core films, right? are not the works by George Lucas. Some of the most exciting and innovative Star Wars stories came from the old EU, which is no longer canon. Or even if we are talking canon, modern Disney Star Wars, things like Andor, right? Right, yeah. Not a lightsaber in fucking sight in that show. Yeah. And it is a piece of art. It just won a Peabody. Yeah, wow. Even something like Star Wars Visions, which is oh, so non, non-canon. <laughs> yeah. But every single episode is just pure art. Like, I just like get so emotional watching it because it's just pure art because the artists are just fucking let loose. There's no rules. Fuck Luke Skywalker. Fuck the <laughs> Do whatever you want, bro. Like, there's yeah. an episode in season two where this character does like, canonically the wrong thing with the lightsaber like when you have a dual blade lightsaber it can't be two colors on each side because there's only one kyber crystal in the middle as anyone who knows the lore knows and star wars visions is like who the fuck cares this character's like red saber on one side yellow on the other let's go it looks dope that's cool so that sort of thing i think is like what's wrong with that you know is that hurting star wars no in fact it's like making me love the ip more is that we're getting weird and experimental with it so (laughs) That umbrella. I I'm getting on like a Star Wars soapbox now, so I digress. But I, I think the Dune universe deserves that same treatment. Yeah. Deserves to have a steward in charge, whoever that is, an, an entity, a person, whatever, who encourages and allows for that sort of expansion to happen in the universe that Frank created. That's my take on that. And I'd love to see more of that. Yeah. I don't even know that much about Star Wars, but I saw a question recently where I was like, what was your favorite Jedi? And my honest answer is like Jedi's I don't even know anything about, but it's the gray ones. The gray Jedi's. Yeah. Yep. Who've like left. The, from the old EU. And I'm like, that shit sounds so cool to me. That's so interesting. Right. And that's right. not even, again, the core movies. But the idea of saying, here are like the five rules that you can't break, but otherwise have fun. Absolutely. Also, because Frank's universe, we learn that at the earliest establishments of this interstellar civilization, yeah, that there are like tens of thousands of planets, right? Like, yeah, tell me the story of a fucking farmer who's like light years away from the events of Dune, but happening at the same time. Yeah, like, yeah. why not? That sounds yeah. great. A Pundi rice farmer. Maybe he's like an orphan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe there's like an old man nearby, a... <laughs> like this hermit who uh-huh. watches over him, and we learn later has a connection with him. Yeah, this. Um, I don't know. That sounds kind of familiar, though. Like that, I yeah. feel like that was done. I'm maybe. still workshopping it. It's still in an early draft. Isn't that but, the oh. plot of Cars 2? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris has got me on a soapbox, but I think we're in agreement that like more Dune is best Dune. And yeah. I would love for the shackles to come off from the Herbert estate. Totally. Uh, we, we've said our piece about Brian's work, and I would love to see what other people do in this universe we've seen what totally. denny does right there are yeah. thousands of other capable artists out there that could do similar beautiful work yeah it's also like i understand 
that if we say opened up that floodgate and had, let's say, 15 different authors write like a collection of short stories, some of yeah. them would be bad and some of them yes, would not be enjoyable. Course. But at a very base level, I'm so bought in on Dune. I think I'd still be really excited to talk about it and excited yeah. to explore if it works, why it works, if it doesn't work, why it doesn't work. And then I think the other piece of your question, Chris, goes back to what we are focusing on as part of Gam Jabbar and like what we're focusing on as part of this show. And I think broadly, we're kind of happy to talk about anything. <laughs> we're kind of happy to talk about anything and everything Dune. So yeah. even if it's not core lore, if it's Awakenings or if it's the TV show, even if it conflicts with the canon that we've established for what we prioritize, I think we're still excited to talk about it. And it really just comes down to like, if y'all want to hear about it, basically, especially because I think there are ways for us to handle the material that's out there in a way that is kind of toxic and mean. And then there are ways for us to handle it that kind of contributes positively to the listener experience. So all of that's a long winded way of saying, uh-huh, hundred percent. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Totally. Yeah. Gung ho. Thank you so much for the question, Chris. Moving on. We yes. have another email. Our next question is from Rance Santiago. And Rance writes, if you guys can be from any faction of the Duneverse, what faction would you prefer to be a part of? I mean, I wrote an answer, and I know you wrote an yeah. answer, too. Yeah, I wrote something, too. And it's I'm a fun kind of second-guessing myself. Yeah, are you? I'm also, because <laughs> I'm like, what? I didn't even think about this, but I've been using ChatGPT more. I'm like, what are the major factions of yeah the dune universe we got our core pillars right we got the great houses of the lance rod we got the spacing guild the benny jesuit the mentats those are the top three they said fremen four benny tleilax sardaukar okay yeah uh those are i would consider those factions as well the tleilax again <laughs> they're so good okay. you mentioned them twice and oh, then interesting. Chome. <laughs> uh chome hmm, that's interesting i wouldn't consider chome a faction necessarily i, I would think I mean, of that probably... more as like a job posting like yeah, if you're from a great house, you can get a posting in Chome as like a. Is Wall Street a faction of IRL humanity? Right. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that a faction. Oh. Yes. Well, well, either way, get fucked, ChatGPT. <laughs> you, you answered wrong. <laughs> get fucked, AI. <laughs> so to answer Rand's question, yeah, for me, the thing that immediately came to mind was within the context of the first three books. If we're going to limit it to just the first three, I find myself drawn to the Mentat order, and all things considered. It seems like a pretty good gig, right? Yeah. Like as long as you graduate with decent grades and you get your certifications, it seems like you're going to land a decent job at a decent great house or even a minor house. You'll get good pay, good benefits. Like it, it just seems like a very straightforward career path, which I just turned 30. So like, is this like an old person thing <laughs> for me to say? Yeah. The artist in me is like screaming, like maybe you should go into a creative field, but Mentats seem like they get good benefits so <laughs> i think like you're like yeah it's nice creating art but will i have dental that's the question <laughs> will i have dental right yeah. i'm getting old <laughs> so yeah i think ultimately like once you pass mentat school like you acquire an extremely valuable set of skills that basically everyone in the galaxy wants right you're a walking talking human computer and the job market seems very steady you can get employed anywhere chome the great houses the emperor the spacing guild wherever and I would argue that the risk of death by assassination seems lower it does. comparatively yeah. to 
other professions or other titles within the Duniverse. Yeah. I even look at our boy Thufir as an example. Like he was employed steadily with House Atreides for over a century. Yeah. <laughs> that's a it's a good job retention. Yeah, not a lot of turnover. Three three generations oh. of Atreides he served loyally. You know, again, I keep saying benefits, but like imagine the 401k plan for House Atreides. <laughs> he accrues like nine hours of vacation hours every hour that he works. <laughs> it's been exponential. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think there would be a certain satisfaction in helping solve problems, I guess. Like the sort of like OCD in me would be like really happy to be like problem, solution, fixed it. Problem, solution, fixed it. Yeah. I think the other benefit I see to being a Mentat would be unlike employment in the Bene Gesserit or the Guild, doing my job well as a Mentat doesn't necessarily require me to take like huge near overdoses of a mind-altering and highly addictive truck. Right. So I see that as a benefit as well, I think. Yeah. You can still casually take drugs all you want, but Yes, of course, of yeah. course. We see Pyre fan of drugs and the Mentat. So huge fan of drugs, yes. Yeah. But not a requirement necessarily. <laughs> right. I think the only downside, trying to think of some like pros, cons here, and it's only cons I can imagine are there's probably gonna be some tough, stressful, hectic days in the office as a True. Mentat, yeah. you know? security concerns when your house is moving to a planet called Arrakis, that's going to be a real tough week. You know, I think there would always be problems with tougher solutions that would require more work. You can't do your 40 hours this week. You got to push it to, you know, 50, 60. Yeah. I imagine that would happen, but I imagine it would ebb and flow as well. There'd be some easy days as well. So yeah, for me, it's Mentat. I think I would love to be a Mentat in the Dune universe. And I think I would find some satisfaction in it. Yeah, that's a good answer. A good answer. What about you? You know, for my answer, I, I want to highlight another downside to being a mentat. Oh, yeah. You're a big old fucking nerd. <laughs> Got him. Because <laughs> what I want to be is a fucking smuggler, a ragtag, wow. ne'er to well, swashbuckling okay. okay. adventurer. I'm out in Damn. the sand. I'm like All right. sneaking past guards. That shit's hype. I'm not some fucking square book nerd. <laughs> <laughs> who just three guesses the... which of us is more risk averse listen <laughs> risk is the spice of life and spice Indeed. is the spice of arrakis and i'm gonna smuggle Hello. that shit off planet <laughs> i love it <laughs> so you know i consider like the fremen i think being a part of like a fremen siege would be very cool and everything we learn about them it's like it is hard like it's really really hard but as a kid you're chasing scorpions you're like out in the sands you've got shit on lock like the fremen have their ecology project that they're working on yeah kind of the whole time they're just on their own they're doing good they're doing fine for themselves but i did choose the smugglers for a few reasons okay first of all i think just arrakis is a fascinating planet and i think having my base of operations be this fascinating planet is cool i see the smugglers as being on decent terms with not only the great houses because they are smuggling to and for the great houses but they're also on decent terms with the fremen right Esmar Tuik yeah. and Liet Kynes roll into that dinner party together. They're like buddies. So yeah. the fact that the smugglers are one of the only factions that does seem to tread in kind of both worlds of the indigenous people of Arrakis and also the like noble houses and the Lancerad, I think that's really cool. Now, I also think that in addition to being out in the sand and like looking for spice and doing all of that, we do see 
Esmar Tuik invited to a great house dinner at the Atreidean Arakeen Palace. Yeah. So I do think that it's safe to say that smugglers, especially as you're kind of among the ranks, probably do get to experience a little bit of that kind of like fine dining, fancy dinners with great houses and houses minor that are trying to kind of bolster their relationship with the smugglers to get more spice and that sort of thing. So yeah. kind of a varied experience. Plus, I've been very clear that I like the Tuics a lot. I like the <laughs> yes. Tuic family a lot. So if I could kick it with them, that would be dope. So that was kind of my thought, Smuggler. Yeah, fun answer. I love it. Now, I mean, of course, the other option is being anybody on Gamont. Just like living <laughs> your entire life on Gamont would be fucking awesome. <laughs> Not every anybody, because I think there's some pretty problematic roles that you could be. But, you know. That's true. Someone, someone on Gamont. Yeah, that's my yeah. third answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What a fun question! Thank you, Rance, so much. Oh, maybe the Ixians actually. Though. Oh, oh, because you know, Ix Ixians was on my list as well. That's a solid choice because they're like they're pushing the needle forward, right? And they're also yeah. they're all also nerds, but they're like you know inventing new tech. Like that's kind of dope. Yeah, I consider that as well, but I, I don't think I'm like Silicon Valley tech bro enough to... they're all in flip-flops and cargo shorts yeah yeah i was attracted to like sort of the straightforward work of the mentads but it a fun backup you know give me a solid salary and i'm happy <laughs> yeah great question rance thank you again thank you so much rance okay let's end today's episode on a fun off-topic question sure from Michelle Fraser Page. Another Michelle. Michelle wrote to us. Another Michelle. <laughs> you got two Michelles. Right. <laughs> what if it's the same Michelle and she got married in between the first email and the second email? We do take nine months and changed to her name. <laughs> so yeah, it's possible. Okay, may maybe the same Michelle. Michelle wrote, you know how you create a mental image of people when you only have words on paper to describe them or when you only hear them? Yeah. Leo. Sure. I was convinced. You had dark hair. Maybe I do. And I still can't get over the shock of you being blonde. Yo, me neither. <laughs> Abu, you existed as a perfect mental construct of your lilting tone in my ears, masterfully dissecting Frank's words into their underlying meaning. What the fuck? And I'm just blonde? You're just... <laughs> just blonde. All right. I mean, I had the opposite reaction. I was like, Michelle, what did you think my hair color was? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we need more details. I need Michelle to paint a very explicit picture yeah. of what she thought we looked like. Explicit. In like a non... Phrasing? That's not what I meant. <laughs> so Michelle continues in her email. Uh -huh. So here's a challenge for both of you. How would you describe yourselves if you were characters in Frank's book? Yeah. <laughs> what a good question, Michelle. Sorry for interrupting <laughs> the direct quote so many times. <laughs> yeah, this was like one of the first times that we, I think, collectively were like, what the fuck? People, oh, people don't, might not know what we look like. Right. Oh, interesting. It's funny. I mean, across the two plus years we've been doing this, I had never really considered like, Oh, there's probably like a majority, a vast majority of our listeners who've never actually seen a photo of us yeah. and know what we look like. But we've been recently posting fun little clips on TikTok. It's true. If you want to check those out, at Gamjabar Podcast on TikTok. And folks have finally been seeing our faces because we've right. been recording video of these podcasts and posting those clips. So uh, yeah, Michelle finally saw what we looked like, blown away by your blonde hair. <laughs> And I love this question. 
from her. I think it would be fun to imagine how Frank would describe us. Because what's interesting yeah. is that extra layer of the question, how Frank would describe us, not how we describe ourselves. Right, right. And Frank, notably in his books, loves to like not really describe his characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, true. like he'll say a few key characteristics about them, maybe. And then we never really like, we're never told six foot four, blah, 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 athletic right. build. So here's how I would answer Michelle's question. I think if Frank was describing me, he'd say something like this, quote, Abu's dark eyes darted back and forth behind his glasses as he motioned wildly with his hands, deep in a rant about Dune. Sweat trickled down his brow as he scratched his speckled beard, a nervous tick he didn't seem to be able to get rid of. He laughed big and he laughed loud, something he'd have to fix in the edit later. End quote. Bravo. That was great. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I think that's as far <laughs> as Frank would ever get. You know, he'd never describe literally anything beyond that about right. me in any of his stories. He does talk about beards. He says beards pretty frequently. Yeah. He's like bearded. Yeah. Well, yeah. Big fan of beards. <laughs> Ideally, you know, in my perfect world, sure. Frank would add some flattering details about my charming smile or my absolutely massive personality. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but I think he'd probably skim over those details, right? He would stick sure. to the, the basics, and it would be up to the reader to fill in the details of what I looked like after that. Yeah, that's solid. What about you? How do you think Frank would oh, compose God. a description of you? This is like my worst nightmare, because I <laughs> have no concept of myself, and it's torture <laughs> to try to like codify any of the amorphous, I'm like a goofy nerd like hey, leo was a goofy nerd frank wrote yeah yeah, yeah. uh-huh <laughs> so i don't know approaching this question like any good child in the age of our uh -huh. lord 2023 i immediately turned to chat gpt <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness i was like you know what ai is gonna be frank for me and is gonna damn write this. all right all right and this here's the pro tip you can have chat gpt ask you questions to give it data and then can use that data in response so I had ChatGPT write a description. And the first description was, quote, Leo, with his dirty blonde hair and sharp eyes, possesses an air of quiet intensity. Behind his thin-framed glasses, his blue eyes reflect a keen awareness. His fair complexion and athletic build complete his captivating presence. Whoa. <laughs> End quote. I know ChatGPT was was being very very nice, very nice. Put that on me. your Hinge profile. What are <laughs> you know, doing? I should. So, like any good child in the age of our Lord, twenty twenty three, who wasn't happy with that, I asked for another, and I specifically the prompt I gave was write a new short paragraph describing me in the style of Frank Herbert, as if you are seeing me atop a sandy dune. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to like tie it more into. Arakeen details. Yeah, smuggler, smuggler Leo. Smuggler Leo. Yeah, here we go. So, and I actually quite like this. I think this is nice. Quote, atop the crest of a sandy dune stands Leo, a figure bathed in the golden hues of the desert. His dirty blonde hair catches the glint of the sun, echoing the warm glow of the arid landscape. Eyes sharp and narrow, like the distant horizon, survey the vast expanse with unwavering focus. The lines of his athletic frame blend harmoniously with the undulating dunes, a testament to his resilience in the face of nature's challenges. As the desert wind whispers secrets only it knows, Leo stands tall, embodying a stoic strength amidst 
the shifting sands. Holy shit. I'm sweating a little. Yeah, it was sweet. What a description. I was like, blend harmoniously with the undulating dunes? Yeah, I've never blended harmoniously with anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's very nice of it to suggest that I am even capable of blending harmoniously. Wow. Yeah, it was sweet. And the shifting sands, I was like, damn, that's solid. Yeah. That's really quite nice. Yeah. I responded to ChatGPT. Thanks. (laughs) It said, you're welcome. Good. Good. I'm glad you were nice to the AI. You'll survive the apocalypse. That's part of my strategy. (laughs) And so there you have it. In one foul swoop, I dodged having to answer the question myself. And also, I angered all the butlerians. And I make no apology. There you go. What a fun question. I love ending on like a little off topic like this. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, we've gotten a number of emails about what we look like recently because we've been posting those videos. And y'all are surprised. But I feel like we look like ourselves. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with <laughs> what we look like. <laughs> yeah, I look like Leo. What's the fucking confusion? Do you expect I look like someone else? Yeah. Uh, black hair. I'm, I'm trying to imagine you with dark hair now. I dyed my hair black in high school. I had it Did shoulder really? length and black hair. Yeah. You got to text me that photo. I need to see that. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> you got to text Michelle that photo, okay? She needs to see that. Actually, when I had shoulder-length black hair, my first girlfriend was named Michelle. <laughs> as wow. Yeah. Wow. Michelle, are you? Let us know, Michelle. Are you Leo's ex? <laughs> are you Leo's ex? Quietly. What quietly a are. fun yeah. question from Michelle and <laughs> a fun prompt. And I think ChatGPT knocked it out of the park. <laughs> In describing you. Yeah. Just, that's incredible. I'm going to outsource writing all of our scripts to ChatGPT from now on. Wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's work for us. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. That's it. That's Another it. mailbag in the bag. Indeed. We've done it. A bunch of incredible questions from our listeners. Even more incredible questions that didn't make the cut. Yeah. There were true. so many more that I was like setting aside to put in the script. And then the script was like, going to be 20 pages long and four hours long so (laughs) yeah you know some we just have to respond to via email some make the cut into our conversations and into our episodes so keep writing to us we love it yeah and i'll add i know that i've responded to a few emails in the last year that i think should be in a mailbag episode and so we're going to do more of these and if your question was not in today's episode don't despair there will absolutely be more mailbag episodes and i'm even thinking like it is really dense when people ask like lore questions which we love but it also means a lot of work on our end to like pull together any information that we can so at some point we should probably just do like a monstrous lore mailbag episode like it would suck it would be that like sounds t- absolutely horrible actually of, uh, how dare you how dare <laughs> you propose that i know but it would be good <laughs> and we've got some really good questions i was thinking the opposite i was like we need to do entirely off topic and an entirely <laughs> off topic mailbag episode right like yeah ask us about our favorite ice cream and the amount of pulp we love in our orange juice and like yeah i want to spend an hour with you not talking about dune you know like <laughs> which will inevitably just... turn into talking about dune yeah, but always it could be fun to go either way with mailbags but as far as our listeners are concerned email us whatever the fuck you want indeed because we love it That's and great. actually since we're already here reminding you to email us let us throw a couple more reminders at you here at the end of the show some great ways to support us and of course to keep in touch with us indeed and you already know where this is going folks indeed best way to support us mm-hmm. on three one two 
three uh god what was direct it direct donations to my to, to abu's page to abu's venmo uh which we will now... i'll drop my venmo yeah. down below hit me up y'all it's the best way to support us and everything we do giving abu money yeah no become a patron patreon.com slash gamjabar the support of our patrons makes what we do possible we literally could not continue this podcast without that support so Thank you for everyone who is a patron. And if you're not, consider, if you are in a financial place to do so, supporting us. You get ad-free episodes, weekly mm -hmm. blooper clips. There will be a few from this episode. Indeed, there will. As well as an invitation to our exclusive Discord, which especially as the Dune hype continues to build, is going to yeah. be just a great place to nerd out together, to react in the moment with stuff and things all together so patreon.com slash gamjabar best way to support what we do that's right now another way to support us is to check out our merch store yeah. at gamjabarshop.com we have a bunch of custom dune themed merch we have art we have apparel we have mugs a tote bag with a cute little Deep mouse yeah. from an incredible artist that we worked with all of that is on gamjabarshop.com get yourself something nice Get the Dune lover in your life something nice. Get your lover lover something nice <laughs> Dune themed, right? Yeah. If they're your lover, they support your Dune obsession. Okay. Yeah. If you don't bring up Dune in the bedroom, you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can also get in touch with us. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. If you have thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, let us know. Send them to us. And also... If you have ideas for different merchandise that you'd like to see on the shop, you know, it's been a while since we've updated our merchandise with new stuff. I would actually love to do that. It's a little hard these days because we're both very busy with everything. But if we got some like banger ideas for things that are really doable, absolutely would love to do them. So send us an email, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. It's the place to reach us. It is indeed. And then also we're going to be streaming live on Twitch from Arrakis. Oh my That's God. That's right, folks. Yay. 24 hours non 24 hours raid stream. And there's lots of tigers and right. we're fucked. <laughs> the camera will roll and never stop no matter what happens. We're going to be kicked off Twitch for terms of service <laughs> when we're murdered on stream. <laughs> it's the authentic desert experience. Yeah. Is spitting into the mouths of animals TOS friendly? I think that walks a fine line, but we could argue it is. One way to find out. there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lord underscore party you can also see what we look like by checking out those silly clips on TikTok at Gamjbar Podcast thank you so much for listening and remember Whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Bat.